Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the campaign edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC. Day 24 of the election campaign, and with less than two weeks to go now to voting day on September 20th, the campaigns have sharpened their messages and their attacks. Today, they focused on each other's failures and on their own pledges on gun control, climate, and affordability. There's also continuing condemnation of the protests greeting the Liberal leader after he was pelted with gravel in London, Ontario. Coming up, candidates will debate the latest campaign developments and pollster David Coletto will have new numbers on the election race. But first, let's go to the day on the campaign trail. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau campaigned in Montreal, where his focus today was once again on the party's plans to make housing more affordable by stopping so-called renovations, introducing a rent-to-own program, a tax-free home savings account, and a two-year ban on foreign property purchases. With less than two weeks to go in the campaign, Trudeau spent most of his time stepping up his attacks on Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole for leaving open the possibility that a Liberal ban on 1,500 assault-style firearms could eventually be lifted. Police se and staunch gun control advocates are in agreement with the gun lobby to say that no, actually, Mr. O'Toole is still going to bring back those military-style assault weapons to Canada. And the fact that he knows Canadians don't want that is why he's trying to mislead, deceive, and hide the truth from Canadians. Justin Trudeau also spoke again today about the latest protests greeting his campaign. This time in London, Ontario on Monday, where protesters threw gravel at the Liberal leader. Trudeau said he won't be deterred by what he called anti-vaxxer mobs and spoke about his concerns for others who've been targeted. I am staying focused not on me on this, but on how we make sure that everyone who isn't surrounded by security guards and uh, well-wishers who have my backs, everyone who is walking into a hospital on their own, for a late night shift, who's worried about some anti-vaxxer that might come scream at them and try and rip off their mask. Those are the people that I think about. Those are the people I want to defend. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole was back at the party media studio in Ottawa. O'Toole promised to lower the wireless and internet bills for Canadians by allowing international telcos to compete in Canada if the treatment is reciprocal and by making lower prices and investment in rural broadband a requirement for winning bidders at Spectrum auctions. But the questions for O'Toole today focused on his shifting position on banning assault-style weapons. O'Toole repeated today that he will maintain the Liberal ban on those assault-style weapons, but left open the possibility it could be lifted following a review. We will maintain restrictions on firearms in place and launch a public and transparent review to make sure we take the politics out of decisions related to public safety. O'Toole also again condemned the actions of the protesters at Liberal campaign events. There is never an excuse to intimidate people, to promote violence or to harass people when in Canada we should have a healthy debate about the future of our country. Uh, that type of conduct is unacceptable uh, towards anyone. 
NDP leader Jagmeet Singh campaigned in Toronto. His focus today was on climate change and on Justin Trudeau's climate record. He promised to end fossil fuel subsidies and instead increase them by 900 million. He sets targets and continues to miss them. And the thing is, this is where Mr. Trudeau's failed promises or his broken word, or when he says things all for show and doesn't deliver, this is where it hurts us the most because the impact is we are not doing our part to fight the climate crisis. But while the Liberal plan includes a price on carbon rising to $170 a tonne by 2030, the NDP leader repeatedly refused to say what his price on carbon would be. Part of Singh's climate plan includes doubling the federal transit fund to over $4 billion a year in an effort to fully electrify all public transit systems by 2030. Singh says the NDP would also support municipalities that want to offer free transit. Jagmeet Singh was also asked about the latest protests at events with the Liberal leader. Here's what he had to say. There are a handful, uh, a small percentage of, of very troubled people that are uh, violently attacking people just for for their views like i disagree with mr trudeau all the time but it is absolutely wrong to be throwing stones i mean i can't imagine that i'm saying this in 2021 don't throw stones at people because you disagree with them that is basic that should not be happening Lord quebecois leader yves francois blanchette took his campaign to the front lawn of the supreme court of canada to denounce the english montreal school board it's asking the federal government to refer Quebec's massive overhaul of language laws, Bill 96, to the Supreme Court of Canada to test its legality. Blanchette wants whoever becomes prime minister to promise the next government will not contest the provincial law. And that's the kind of day it's been. Day 24 of the campaign. Voting day, September 20th. So gun control, anti-vax protests dominating the national political debate today. Let's discuss the latest campaign developments with three candidates uh, for the main parties. Pam DeMoff is the Liberal candidate for re-election in the Ontario riding of Oakville, North Burlington. She was a member of the Public Safety Committee in the last Parliament. Dan Albus is the Conservative candidate for re-election in the British Columbia riding of Central Okanagan, Similkameen Nicola. He was the party's environment critic in the last Parliament. And Rachel Blaney is the NDP candidate for uh, re-election in the riding of of North Island Powell River. She was the NDP whip in the last parliament. Uh, thank you all for uh, taking time to speak with me tonight. Do do appreciate it. Uh, Dan Alvis, let, let me start with you if I can. Can we get some clarity on the conservative position on, on the liberal ban on assault-style firearms? Because Aaron O'Toole campaigned for the party leadership on a promise to get rid of the liberal gun ban. That promise was repeated in the platform, but now a footnote in the platform online says the ban will be upheld but reviewed. What's the position? Well, we're going to keep the uh, 1970s ban on assault weapons in general, and uh, we are also going to maintain the 2020 changes because, quite frankly, Peter, this issue has become far too politicized. We are uh, seeing that the Liberals are importing American-style politics into Canada. They're trying to demonize law-abiding gun owners who just want a fair and transparent system that says, what is prohibited, what is restricted. Okay, well, and hang that on, is let, exactly let, what Mr. O'Toole is going to do. Okay, uh, let, there let will me... Be status quo until that public, uh, that public process happens. Okay, that's where I was headed. So status quo, uh, uphold the Liberal ban on, on those 1,500 assault-style weapons uh, until there is a review. So I guess what people watching want to know is will the ban being upheld by the Conservatives on assault-style weapons, will that be permanent or not? 
Well, again, I would just simply point out that, you know, we all do better when it's not politicians and their appeals to voters and politicization is is what calls for these things to happen. It's when there's a non-politicized, transparent, expert-driven process. So this should be based on merit, on technical basis, not on political biases. Okay, but just to be, so, so it's an open... We want to see. It's an this open is, question, is, right? It's an open question about whether the ban will be upheld or not after this review. I think most people would see okay. that it would benefit from a transparent system. And we also need to point out that right now, the uh, gang violence we're seeing in places like Surrey, Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, even there's been some shootings in Kelowna, needs to be tackled. That's why Aaron O'Toole was in Vancouver last weekend, and he announced 200 RCMP officers to okay. target this and to support our CBSA to tackle the real issue, which is illegal smuggling of firearms. Right, let me let me That's move, what's let me move to your colleagues here. Uh, Pam Damoff, what's your response to this conservative position on the ban on assault-style rifles? And uh, what's wrong if the plan is to review that ban to see whether it's permanent or not? Well, I'm finding it pretty rich, what's coming out of conservatives' um, mouths right now. I mean, my goodness, Aaron O'Toole will say anything to anybody to get elected. I have sat in the Public Safety Committee for six years and listened to Conservatives slam not just the Liberals, but slam organizations like Police de Souvien, the Canadian um, emergency room doctors, people who have come to testify and have just, uh, just vilified them. It's pretty clear that the gun that was used in 1989 to slaughter women at Polytechnique is one of the assault-style weapons that we're banning. The Conservatives have said over and over again they were going to repeal this ban. They tabled petitions. They fundraised on it. They got an A grade from the National Firearms Association and the Canadian Coal, uh, whatever it's called, the CCFR, the other gun lobby group. If anybody is importing American-style rhetoric into this, it's the American-style gun lobby who are supporting the Conservatives and have been their number one backers. And for them now to be pulling back on this, it's pretty clear, I think, not only to me, to be, but to Canadians, that really they're saying whatever they need to say until they get elected. Even the gut lobby is saying, remain calm. Okay. Uh, there, there's been conversations Rachel, that have been had on this. Ra- Rachel Blaney, what questions are raised for you in how Aaron O'Toole has uh, changed his position here on guns or, or what the current position is? What, what questions are raised for you? Well, I think for myself, it is really unclear. And I think Canadians just want to know what you stand for. And what we're seeing with Mr. O'Toole is this back and forth, adding a footnote (laughs) to a campaign platform is just not the normal practice. And so, you know, for me, it's very concerning because I think what we're hearing from a lot of people is this need in some of these bigger communities that are very concerned about safety and about illegal guns. I think that is an important thing to be talking about. But let's be real here. The Conservative government were the one who actually took away the CBSA workers, about a thousand people that were on the lines doing the work to stop illegal guns. And now we have the Liberals who have only added 200 people back. Mm -hmm. So when we look at this really major concern, it is frustrating that we're not seeing the action. And on the other side, legal 
single gun owners are just trying to educate people about what the requirements are for them and how do we be the most safe that we can be. So if we're going to really attack the illegal smuggling of guns, nobody of either of these parties is talking about what real steps we need to take to okay. make that happen. Uh, Mr. Albus, uh, let's go back to this review process that you've talked about, Mr. O'Toole's talked about. Who would con conduct that review and what's the purpose of a review for a simplified classification system? Uh, what does that mean? And because Bill Blair, the Minister of Public Safety, said this afternoon, that's code from the gun lobby that says, wait till we get into office and we'll water down some of these restrictions and some of these bans. Look, with all due respect to Pam and to Bill Blair, they've had six years to address the rising gun and gang violence on our streets. They have used this issue to demonize law-abiding gun owners who follow the rules, who just simply want to know, as Rachel said, what their obligations are. Instead of having a pendulum where they check in and they say, we need a wedge to wedge against our adversaries and to make the uh, fulcrum uh, or the scapegoat of, the, of their politics is these legal gun owners. And you know what? Having a public and transparent system okay, where people can, can see the criteria that have expertise. Again, I said technical merit versus political bias. I'm just asking One who, only who, has to just listen would, to Pam's comments. Okay, Mr. They're using this as a wedge Mr. issue. Mr. Albus, who that would... doesn't help secure a public system. Mr. Albus, what I'm asking is who would conduct the review? Who are the people on this review committee? Who does it? Well, again, that would be decided by the conservative government. Uh, and I would hope that it would entail experts as well as public servants, as well as wider uh, civil society that has something to say and that everything is recorded. And then when people open up their newspapers to read what the results are, that they'll be able to okay. say, hmm, it sounds like some real improvements that we know that the system works. All right, Pam DeMoff. No, hang on, Mr. Albus. I'm, I'm careful with the timer moving around here. Ms. DeMoff, let me hear you respond to that. So I missed I missed part of that. I'm sorry, my, my sound cut out. But I will say... The Conservative has already said who's going to review this, and it's going to be the gun lobby. It's going to be gun um, s sellers. It's going to be gun owners and the public. There's no public health officials being included. There are no uh, victims organizations. Even though the Conservatives always claim to stand up for victims, they're not including them in this review. Let's, let's just be honest. They're saying what they need to say to get reelected. They voted against $500 million to go into uh, law enforcement to stop gun smuggling. They voted against that. So they can't say both things here. And, you know, there's there's so much more involved in this issue. There is not one fix. But, okay. you know, this flip-flop, I mean, I'm getting, I'm, I'm losing track of what they're, what they're saying on this issue. And I think it speaks to a lar larger issue okay. of what is Mr. O'Toole not telling us on other issues? Rachel Blaney, okay, let me move to Ms. Uh, Ms. Blaney here. Uh, what, do you think this review process has any merit uh, to review the classification system and uh, see where that takes the whole uh, notion of a gun ban? Well, I think this is really demonstrating, uh, and I have to agree with Pam here, this flip-flop back and forth. Look, at people are making big decisions about who they're going to support in this upcoming election. Aaron O'Toole is flipping back and forth. It is not clear. He's either on one side or he's on the other. It isn't clear. And he's using this, we're going to do this and we're going to do that, and it's going to be clear then. Well, look, at people in communities that are worried about gun violence, they need to know where the stands are. Hunters that are out there 
who want to do what they've been doing in often cases many generations, they want clarity. Back and forth does not help. I think we have to get moving forward. And if the focus, like I said earlier, is stopping illegal guns, then where is the commitment to actually seeing investment in those areas where that can be stopped? All right. Uh, let, let me ask you about another issue in the news today, and that's these ongoing protests involving uh, Liberal campaign stops. Mr. Albus, um, uh, I'm, I'm sure you know what happened uh, yesterday with the gravel being thrown at uh, the Liberal leader at a stop in, in London, Ontario. Uh, I want to know what you think of that. And, and the, also, uh, Justin Trudeau sort of invoking uh, the O'Toole campaign being backed uh, by anti-vaxxers, anti and those are the people that he's beholden to. Uh, can you respond to what you've seen and uh, what you think about this? Well, let me just start by saying that when uh, Mr. Harper was prime minister, he came to my region twice where we organized events. The RCMP always made sure that there was protection for the prime minister, for the media, and also for the protesters, that they had a place where they could make their views known safely. That's what we want to see happen. We don't want to see people being harassed or, or things being thrown at anyone. This is, this is a problem, uh, and the Prime Minister was very unclear today whether or not he's taking the RCMP's advice. I certainly want to see more talk about what uh, we as politicians uh, can do for this country and less finger-pointing. Uh, the Prime Minister has been very divisive specifically on, on, on Canadians and dividing between people that have legitimate concerns and demonizing them. That's no way to, to run a campaign, in my opinion. That's why I'm very proud that my leader is running a very positive vision, Canada's recovery plan. We want to get everyone working together okay. on some common goals. Uh, Pam, Pam Damoff, uh, look at the divisions happening in this country over the notion of, of vaccination. What do you make of these protests and what should we do about it? Well, I, it, I don't think this is representative of Canada. And I think all three of us can agree that there's there's just no place for this kind of uh, protest. I don't, I'm, I'm a little upset that uh, Mr. Albus is victim blaming here. I think the RCMP do a terrific job. I think the, the prime minister should be out connecting with Canadians. The fact that a small group of anti-mask, anti-vaxxers are um, trying to stop him from doing that is really troubling. But really, you know, we, we, we need leadership when it comes to public health. We need leadership when it comes to vaccinations. And what people want is they don't want more lockdowns. They want to be able to, to get back to, to normal or whatever our normal will okay. be. But we need that leadership on vaccinations, which is something that uh, Justin Trudeau has been showing. All of you know, we're, we're, we're going forward on um, vaccinations and ensuring that people are vaccinated. And unfortunately, Mr. O'Toole is not doing that. Let, we saw federal let, leadership on it. All right. And, okay, and I have to, I have to stop you there. That. Time's running out. So, Rachel Blaney, let me give you the final yeah. word to you here. Uh, what do you make of all of this and what should we be doing about it? Well, I think it is uh, really sad to see this falling apart. Uh, I agree that we cannot blame the RCMP. We know for sure they're doing an amazing job. I'm going to have to uh, disagree with our conservative friend here. Uh, but we do want to make sure that democracy is alive and well. And whenever we have these processes that are really becoming violent, we need to all take a step back. We all need to calm down and remember that this is an exchange of ideas. Mm. And I do know that, you know, often elections are divisive as people are 
are trying to point out the differences. But we do have to find ways to come together, especially during a pandemic, uh, to make sure that we build a Canada that is stronger for all of us. And so let's hope that we see some of this calm down and some decisions made to bring people together for meaningful dialogue and not, of course, falling back on hate rhetoric and on throwing things that could really hurt people. All right. Uh, well, thank you all tonight for the uh, good exchange of ideas here in our discussion together. I appreciate the time. Uh, take care and good luck to all of you. We'll talk again. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So with the final two weeks of the campaign now underway, we've got some new polling numbers to share with you tonight. Let's bring in David Coletto, the CEO of Abacus Data. He's been a regular contributor to our CPAC programs during the campaign. And here he is again. Hi, David. Good to see you again. Uh, what do we need to know about the background of this latest survey? Let's start there. So this survey we completed entirely after the TVI debate Thursday evening. We were in the field from Friday until Monday, and we surveyed 2,875 eligible uh, voters across the country, and it was conducted online. Okay, uh, so we have the big, uh, uh, two big French and English language debates now coming up this week, the commission debates, uh, and we, you touched on it. We also had the first debate on TVA in French last week. So let's start there and work our way forward. What, what impact did that first debate have on the voters? Let's start with who was watching. Yeah, well, you know, the first thing to note is there was quite a bit audience, at least from our, our measurement, um, when we asked people both across the country as well as in Quebec, you know, did you watch? Uh, almost half of people said they watched at least some of the debate. And in Quebec, another quarter said they, they at least heard about it. So compared to 2019, after the last that TV ad debate, we asked the exact same question. It appears a slightly larger audience for, for this debate. So any any sense that, you know, it's summer and people aren't paying that attention, hmm. uh, that much attention, I'm not seeing evidence of it. So, so quite a number of people watch this debate. And, w and what did you find when you asked about the reaction to the leaders' performances and how that might affect support? Yeah, well, unlike 2019, no one really bombed this debate from, from viewers' perspective. You can see here the green bars are those who say um, that the leaders left them a positive view, the red is negative. And across the board, you know, on every all three, all four leaders, uh, more said they had a more positive view than a negative one. Now, Mr. Blanchet and Mr. Trudeau had better nights uh, on on these fronts than than Mr. O'Toole or Mr. Singh. But you know, only of a quarter of of, of of Quebecers who watched this debate or heard about it had a negative thing to say about Mr. O'Toole or, or Mr. Singh. So, you know, first in, first impressions were that. Um, no one really stumbled. Um, and if we, again, compare this to 2019, Andrew Scheer, the Conservative Party leader at the time, had a really challenging debate. Right. So first glimpse, um, you know, no real impact. Now, when we ask people who did the most to earn your vote um, during the debate, uh, Mr. Trudeau comes uh, well ahead. 33% who watched or, or heard about the debate thought he did the most to earn their vote, followed by Mr. Blanchett and Mr. O'Toole basically tied for second and Mr. Singh in fourth. On the flip side, when we ask which of the leaders did the most to lose your vote, um, Mr. Trudeau wins that one again. 30% said he did the most to lose their vote. Mr. O'Toole in second at 24. Interestingly, 22% said none of them did that poor a job. So I look at these numbers and say, you know, did anyone really win this debate in, in the traditional sense that we think about it? No. Did anyone really lose this debate? No. But uh, will it fundamentally change the tra trajectory of the election at this stage? I don't think so, because when we look at, as we'll see in a minute, vote intention, how people feel about the leaders, there is no real change in any of those pre or post debate. OK, let, let's move to the horse race number. What are we seeing today? So we've got a tie 
uh, as close as you can imagine, 32 conservative, 32 liberal, 21 NDP, seven for the bloc, three for both the People's Party and the Greens, and 1% and for the others. Compared to uh, an earlier survey we did that was done mostly uh, around before the debate, no change. So the Conservatives down just one. That's inside the margin, uh, margin of error. Now, when we look at the regional numbers, and, and I know you were going to ask, Peter, so I just took a quick step ahead here. Do it. We do see some interesting regional battlegrounds. So in British Columbia, we continue to see a relatively close three-way race there. Because of the sample size, you know, the New Democrats are ahead by uh, six over the Conservatives. But for the most part, this is still a three-way race. Um, in Ontario, uh, we see the Liberals ahead by three. That's important because there was some polling, and even in ours, that showed the Conservatives closing the gap there. Three-point lead is not comfortable for the Liberals. So they'd like, you know, they won by 10 points in 2019. So three points is still a gain for the Conservatives. And then in Quebec, um, where we just talked about that TV uh, French language debate. Now, in the Atlantic region, Peter, we are seeing a, a tightening race. Uh, our poll, including others, have shown that the, the Conservatives are gaining in Atlantic Canada. The Liberals uh, are falling a little bit behind. And again, that's troubling if you're the Liberals because they they dominated in, in that region over the last two elections. And, and what about vote intentions of those people who say they will definitely vote? Because that's important. It's one thing to say where your support is, but it's, you know, uh, it's important to know that you're going to vote because that's what actually influences the outcome of the campaign. What are you finding? Well, we continue to see the Conservatives have a slight advantage among those who say they definitely are going to vote in this election, who in our survey is about 70%. So that's about the turnout uh, level. Last time, the Conservatives are ahead by two 34, down only one from last week, the Liberals at 32, um, and the NDP at 21. So a similar race among that decided vote, but you can see that little bit of an advantage for the Conservatives um, because their voters are more, more likely to vote their older um, and I think even now, still a little more motivated than, than Liberal supporters right now. Uh, let's move now to that desire for change number. That's an all-important number that can tell us where an election is headed. What's happening? Well, we, we see a slight uptick over the last week. We're up to 49% of Canadians who say they definitely want to see a change in government. If you go back to mid-June, uh, that's up 11 points. So that's been one of the features of this campaign. The longer this campaign goes on, the more... Uh, the more there are people who really want to see the Liberals out. Um, but it's still below where it was in 2019, but it's getting closer. And so that's why I think we see the vote intention numbers that we just showed you that are actually very similar to the numbers that, that the 2019 campaign ended on. Uh, on, the, on the flip side, you know, 18% of Canadians say they definitely want to see the Liberals reelected. Another 12% say they'd like the Liberals reelected, but it's not important. That's still enough for the Liberals to be in the game. But, you know, as we watch the debates this week, all the opposition leaders are going to be making the case for change. The Liberals need to keep this number below 52 if they uh, want to try to at least hold on to a minority uh, when this is all done. Okay, let's move to the latest impressions of the leaders. Um, uh, what's happening there? What kind of movement are you seeing? Not a whole lot of change, which I think is interesting given we had that debate last week in, uh, in, in Quebec in French. Uh, Mr. Trudeau, uh, has seen a little bit of his negatives rise over the last few weeks, but but still uh, about equal numbers have a positive negative view of him. Uh, Mr. O'Toole, you know, has been probably the, the leader who's moved the most in, in the in the in the positive direction. We now have 31 percent of respondents saying they have a positive impression of Mr. O'Toole. Um, that's up uh, almost 11 points since this campaign started. So really the, the leader who's gained the most but he still has a sizable number of people with a negative view. So his job is to keep changing people's minds and introducing himself to people 
who don't know him that well. And lastly, uh, Mr. Singh um, is, is still the most popular leader. His numbers have been pretty stable in the positive direction over the course of the campaign. And, and just as a, an aside, again, when we look at just Quebec and try to anticipate the impact that debate had last week, none of these leaders have seen their, their, their numbers move in either direction. Uh, I think we have one slide, though, uh, about Mr. Blanchett. Right. So we, we, we put a slide together uh, that looks at how people feel about the Bloc Québécois leader. He's had a little bit of a rise in his negatives over the last few weeks, but still, you know, 10 points more view him favorably than negatively. All right, uh, David, let's finish now on what Canadians are telling you about uh, their preferred uh, prime minister. What are they saying? So despite a tied ballot... Um, and a slight conservative lead among definite voters, Mr. Trudeau is still the favorite or preferred prime minister by five points over Mr. O'Toole. 37 would prefer him to be prime minister when this is over, 32 for Mr. O'Toole, and 24 for Mr. Singh. Again, a one-point changes over last week are not really real in that sense. They're inside the margin of error, and it still shows that despite some real headwinds in the Liberal campaign in the first two weeks, um, that those headwinds maybe have stopped. And we've, we've kind of hit a new normal now where it's a very tight race, but Mr. Trudeau still has a slight advantage on who people want to be prime minister when this is all done. So David, let's, uh, let's finish on the upshot. Uh, what is the upshot as we are in now the final two weeks of the campaign and with the uh, televised leaders debates from the uh, commission uh, coming up Wednesday and Thursday, uh, what's the upshot? Well, I think you know, the first two weeks were, were not great for the Liberals. The Conservatives gained and, and they made this race very tight. That momentum the Conservatives might have had seems to have ended. Um, so we're headed into these debates with an electorate that looks very much like the electorate in 2019. The question is, will anybody kind of change their mind um, or are we baked into this very tight, very competitive race? Um, there's no doubt that Canadians are increasingly aware that this is a close race. When people believe it's close, I think they're more likely to tune in. And so I think this this week could could have could have big impacts um, on, on where this race finishes. They usually do. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this case, it's so close that that one misstep by any of these leaders or one breakthrough could be the difference between who gets to form government. Uh, after September 20th. All right. Uh, lots to watch for as the sort of, I guess you can sort of say now, given what we know is coming up with debates and so on, the kind of countdown to voting day on September 20th is sort of underway now. Uh, David Coletto, thanks for your time. Uh, talk to you later. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Peter. And that is all the time we have for this campaign edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen, and from all of us here at CPAC, thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.